None of us know what God looks like. And yet, it is precisely through the human act of creating a family, bestowing love upon children, that God is spiritually made manifest in this world. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 112, The Many Miracles of Elisha. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. One of my favorite movie memorabilia moments was the chance, while in Los Angeles, to hold in my hands the actual stone tablets utilized by Cecil B. DeMille for the filming of the movie The Ten Commandments. And to hold a replica of the Luchot, of the tablets of Moses, is to ponder the very same question that occurred to so many in the past, as it must have to the magisterial movie maker that was Cecil B. DeMille. What did the Luchot look like? What was the precise appearance of the two tablets granted by God to Moses, with the Ten Commandments ethereally emblazoned upon them? Much of the interest has been in the precise shape of these extraordinary objects, but equally interesting is the precise placement of the commandments. How were they divided up amidst the two tablets? As we study the way in which the tablets were by and large depicted in the history of Western art, we find that for the most part the assumption was that the last commandment on the first tablet was, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and that therefore the second tablet began with honor your father and mother. And we can understand the inherent logic in this approach. After all, only the commandments through the obligation of the Sabbath seem to pertain to the relationship between man and God, while the rest, beginning with one's duties towards one's parents, seem to be about the ethical obligations between human beings. And yet, for Jewish tradition, no such view ever appears. If we are to assume that the commandments were indeed split up between the two tablets, then for the rabbis, the only possibility was that they appeared divided five and five with honoring parents appearing at the bottom of the first tablet, the tablet discussing man's relationship with God. And the reason for this is that for Jews, the honor that we give to parents is also a way of honoring God and of learning how to relate to God. Honoring our parents out of gratitude for what we owe them is essential, but it is also the way in which we learn to love and honor the Almighty. This perhaps can be seen in the career of one of the most wondrous prophets in the Bible. After Elijah ascends in a chariot of fire, Elisha returns to the Jordan River and performs the same miracle as his teacher, and the entourage of the prophets sees a sign of succession. Chapter 2, verse 13. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord, God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets which were viewing at Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Many of Elisha's miracles will mimic those of his mentor, but at the same time we can also note something different between them, and that is a human, social, emotional dimension to the miracles Elisha performs, and the same dimension can be noted when he pronounces prophecies. This can be noted in an affecting scene where Elisha is sent to Damascus to anoint a new monarch of Aram. A Hebrew prophet is anointing a Gentile monarch. One could imagine that Elisha would show up, do the deed, and leave. And yet for him, it is a moment of both prophecy and pathos. The king of Aram at the time, Ben-Hadad, is sick. And while Elisha communicates to the king that he, the king, will live, 
Elisha at the same time privately informs the general of Aram, Chazael, that in truth Chazael will rule next. Knowing that the providential plan is for Chazael to then attack Israel, Elisha cannot hold his emotions back. Chapter 8, verse 7. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, was sick, and it was told to him, saying, The man of God is come here. And the king said unto Chazael, Take a present in thine hand, and go meet the man of God, and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover of this disease? So Chazael went to meet him and took a present with him, every good thing of Damascus, forty camels' burden, and came and stood before him and said, Thy son Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, hath sent me to thee, saying, Shall I recover of this disease? And Elisha said unto him, Go, say unto him, Thou mayest certainly recover. However, the Lord hath showed me that he shall surely die. The text continues by describing the countenance of Elisha. And he settled his countenance steadfastly until he was ashamed. And the man of God wept. And Chazael said, Why weepeth my Lord? And he answered, Because I know the evil that thou wilt do unto the children of Israel. Thus, the performance of Elisha's divinely designated duty is combined with human compassion and love for his own people, who will suffer at the hands of Chazael. Rabbi Alex Israel further points out that this social and emotional element of Elisha can be seen immediately when he is chosen. Elijah, returning from Sinai on the sound of silence, sanctifies Elisha by placing his cloak upon him. 1 Kings 19.19 So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again. For what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him, and he took a yoke of oxen, and slew them, and cooked their meat with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose, and went after Elijah, and ministered unto him. Thus Elisha begins his life as a prophet, by bidding his parents goodbye, and then feeding the people. It is the embrace with his parents that is most interesting to me. Elisha seems to see no contradiction between the bond joining parent and child and his mission as a man of God. This is further reflected when Elisha blesses a barren woman from Shunam that she should bear a child. The child is born, and when the Shunammite woman's child suddenly falls sick and dies, Elisha miraculously brings the child back to life. This directly parallels a resurrection miracle of Elijah. Now let us look carefully at the way Elisha bestows his blessing of a child in the first place. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 12. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him, and he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. Meaning Elisha asked his servant Gehazi to speak to the woman, to ask her what favor Elisha can do for her. And she offers no answer in return. Elisha speaks to his servant again, and he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door, and he said, About this season, according to this time, thou shalt embrace a son. Thus Elisha bestows a blessing of a child upon a barren woman. But in choosing his precise phrase, Elisha is deliberately mimicking the language used by the angels in Genesis that brought the communication of God to Abraham, announcing that Sarah will have a child. 
There, Abraham was told, At this time next year, I will return to you, and Sarah will have a son. Elisha uses almost exactly the same words, but amazingly, he adds one, a verb. To Abraham, it was said, Sarah will have a child. Sarah will have a son. And he is also told, Behold, Sarah will have a son. While Elisha says, You will embrace a son. You will hug a son. The angel states the biological fact. Elisha, on the other hand, thought, it seems, of his own mother. And, knowing what mothers were all about, said to this mother-to-be, Next year, you will embrace a child with warmth and with love. Thus, from the very moment of his being selected and sanctified, Elisha places the bond connecting parent and child, father and child, mother and child, at the heart of his mission as a man of God. And there is a profound point here. Jews argue that it is perfectly appropriate to place the commandment of honoring one's forebears on the tablet that is all about God because the love that father and mother radiate are reflections of the divine parental love. Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik has written that, quote, the relationship of God to us and our relationship to him lend themselves to description and interpretation in finite human categories. The Jew has learned to confess his faith in and impassioned love of God by telling the story of people whom he loves and with whom he seeks to identify himself. Judaic faith and theology are linked with finite experiences and meaningful human relations. By developing proper human relations structures, the Jew learns how to love, revere, and serve God. End quote. If I could state it a bit more simply, the notion is that in experiencing the love of our parents, that itself allows us to understand what it means to speak of God as a parent. In a similar sense, my grandfather, Rabbi Aaron Soloveitchik, once commented on the fact that Adam and Eve, upon sitting in the Garden of Eden, immediately fled, attempting to hide from the Almighty. Why, he asked, did they not instead own up to their sin, beseech mercy, ask for forgiveness? Why does atonement never seem to occur to them as a possibility? My grandfather's answer was simple and sublime. Their lack of understanding, he said, came from the fact that Adam and Eve were the only individuals in the Bible to never have parents. They entered a world in which father and mother had never existed. Therefore, they had never experienced the love and devotion of father and mother. Having never had the experience of parents, they had no idea in a moment of failure of how to relate to God. It is an exquisite explanation, and there is more. It is not only that our love for father and mother help us to relate to our divine parents, it is also that father and mother, each in their own way, reflect and refract the love of God. There is a joke which I've been repeating ever since I heard it about a child in a religious school who is drawing on a sheet of paper and he is asked by a teacher about what he is attempting to draw. The child replied that he is creating a picture of God. The teacher told him, but nobody can know what God looks like. And the child replied confidently, well, they will in five minutes. For the Hebrew Bible, even if we cannot see God, when father and mother together love a child, we can see what God's love looks like, but uniquely through each. As Rabbi Soloveitchik further put it, quote, The two modes of love manifestation can be found in God's relationship to the covenantal community. God acts as both our father and our mother. And Rabbi Soloveitchik adds that, quote, Both modes of loving, caring, and helping are manifested by the Almighty. End quote. Deliberately drawing on the imagery of the Platonists, Rabbi Soloveitchik further writes that, quote, What is transient fatherhood and motherhood? if not a reflected beam of light coming to us from beyond the frontiers of the cosmos, 
And what is paternal or maternal concern if not an echo of the great concern of the Almighty? End quote. None of us know what God looks like, and yet it is precisely through the human act of creating a family, bestowing love upon children, that God is spiritually made manifest in this world. Thus, Rabbi Joseph, the blind rabbi of the Talmud, would hear the footsteps of his mother and announce that I stand now before the coming of the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah is a word describing God's loving presence here on earth. And this Talmudic statement inspired Rabbi Soloveitchik to further reflect about the perspective of halakha, Jewish law, that, quote, behind every mother, young or old, happy or sad, trails the Shekhinah. This, Rabbi Soloveitchik added, is not mysticism. It is halakha. The awareness of the Shekhinah results in the obligation to rise before father and mother. End quote. Elisha kisses his mother and father, and then, and only then, departs to become a prophet of God. The two events are not unrelated, for while Elisha performs many miracles, there is nothing so wondrous as the bond of love between parent and child, for it reflects the very radiant love of God himself. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together next week, signing off.